Hello there, and welcome to our Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. My name is Richard Frankowitz, and I'm the Youth Director here at Sardis Fellowship. To find info on our speaker and series, please check the podcast description. Thanks for listening, and enjoy! Good morning. I'm here this morning in support of Rod. He and Anne are um, remembering um, Anne's father who passed away just a week and a half or two weeks ago. So um, they're in Oregon right now. Uh, sorry, mother. Oh, yes. Sorry. I knew that. Thanks for the correction. Her mother, yes. Um, one of the things I pray for every day, pretty much every day, is that I would uh, enjoy every blessing. And I need to pray that uh, because I find myself being a bit forgetful about all of the different blessings that God pours out upon me and upon us. Uh, because as James says, that all of the good gifts that we receive come down to us from the Father of Lights. I find that I need to be reminded of that, so I pray for it regularly because it's too easy to take things for granted or to complain or whatever. Most of all, I want to thank God for his son and for the sacrifice of his son and take hold of this truth, which we find in Galatians toward the end, almost the very last thing that Paul leaves with us in Galatians May I never boast except in the cross of Christ. The cross of Christ became for Paul the center of his praise and the anchor of his life. That's the one thing that he could boast about as he looked back. Not his own merits and not his own accomplishments, not his own good things that he had done, but just Christ and him crucified. The word boast might seem odd to us. So what does it mean? Well, we usually think of it as bragging about ourselves. I'm so talented, so wealthy, so successful, so good. My kids and my grandkids are the best. Although we're usually a little more subtle than that because we wouldn't want to be thought of as braggarts, right? So why this word? Why a word that we don't feel comfortable with? Well, I looked it up, and the Greek actually means what it says. It means bragging about something. He chooses this word intentionally because he wants to get the point across that he won't brag about himself. He will never boast except in the cross of Christ. So he's saying to us, the one thing I'm most thankful for and can honestly boast about, which overrides all personal pride, self-satisfaction, and accomplishments, is the cross of Christ. Now that's a pretty significant statement when you realize where Paul is coming from, uh, when you realize his backstory. Here's what you need to know about the Apostle Paul before he became a Christian, the, the man who wrote that statement. Paul was an achiever, committed to a cause, willing to pay the price. In terms of his religious zeal, a fanatic. An over-the-top, rabid fanatic. If it was possible to be accepted by God on the basis of good deeds and zeal, he was the guy who could do it. All of his life, 
He worked hard to please God and to earn God's favor. He attended Bible school. He, he obeyed every Old Testament law. He even understood the ancient Hebrew, which most people could not. He even served on the governing council of the Jews. He says this in Galatians 1, verse 14, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. And then in Philippians 3, 4, he looks back in all of these achievements and, and he honestly claims, I could have confidence in myself if anyone could. If others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. But now as a follower of Christ. He looks back on all of this and shakes his head in disbelief. First, that he ever thought he could have confidence in his own efforts to be good with God. And, and second, that his radical, fanatical devotion to the Jewish law led him astray. He sees now that he loved his religion more than he loved his God. The irony is that while motivated to protect his religion, he ended up opposing God. He admits this as he shares his own story. Again in Philippians 3, verse 6, did I have zeal? Yes. In fact, I persecuted the church. He's admitting that while attempting to keep the Jewish faith pure by stamping out these heretical Christ followers, he was in actual fact opposing the very purposes of God, harming innocent people. Despite his own efforts to keep the law, he still messed up. He discovered that misguided zeal is a dangerous thing, which is why he warns us again in Galatians, this time chapter 4, verse 18, it is fine to be zealous provided the purpose is good. So here we have pre-Christian Paul, a man of energy, of religious passion, but a man who unintentionally opposes the purposes of God. Yet something changed. And this man of misdirected energy and zeal came to see life from a totally different perspective, reflected in this central life-defining principle, may I never boast except in the cross of Christ. So on the one hand, Paul could say, I could have confidence in myself if anyone could. If others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. He could boast with the best of them. His resume of religious deeds is beyond compare. But now he shreds his resume and in utter humility confesses, may I never boast except in the cross of Christ. The difference here is that God opened his eyes so he could clearly see himself and his, other, his utter unworthiness, while at the same time clearly seeing Christ and his merciful grace. There are a lot of people who don't get this. They believe that as long as they work hard and try to do all the right things, then all is well between themselves and God. I, I've spoken to people who would say things like this, you know, I haven't hurt anyone, and I've lived a good life, and I'm a decent person, so everything is okay between God and me. Now, the first three statements may actually be true. 
They may not have hurt anyone, and they may have lived a good life, and they may be a decent person, but that doesn't mean that the fourth statement is true, that everything is good between them and God. One time, this is many years ago, like way more than, well, I was going to say way more than 30 years ago, but it might have been, actually. I spoke to a woman about her spiritual journey, and she kept on repeating as she told me her thoughts about God, all God wants you to do is your best. She said it over and over. In fact, she said it so many times, I wondered if she was actually trying to convince herself, and I'm pretty sure she wanted me to confirm this with her. But I sensed in her a terrible insecurity. So what about you? Have you ever thought that way? Do you think that way? All God wants you to do is your best. So is this true? Paul would not agree. Paul, Paul has been down that road. He's tried his best. And look where it got him. The answer to this question he discovered is found in this life-changing truth. May I never boast except in the cross of Christ. What God is revealing to us is that we can only be accepted by God through the cross. Our own good works, no matter how numerous or weighty or wonderful, are not only incomplete, they're completely inadequate. And the only means of confidence is confidence in the cross. May I never boast except in the cross of Christ. Why the cross? It's not a pretty image. It's not a beautiful piece of jewelry to Paul and to people of his era. The cross was the way the Romans dealt with enemies of the state. It was gruesome and horrible and terrifying and the ultimate deterrent. Yet here it is, the central symbol of Paul's faith. Back in Galatians 3, which Rod spoke on a few weeks ago, Paul explains the centrality of the cross this way. So this is in Galatians 3, verse 10. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. Okay, now I want to make sure we catch that. I'm going to read it one more time. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Paul's emphasis here seems to be on the word all or everything. No one can do everything written in the law. So the law ends up condemning us, not saving us. All of us, and I'm including pastors, no matter how much we try, are under the curse of the law because we fall short. As we read elsewhere, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's Romans 3.23. No exceptions, everyone included. So Paul explains God's solution to this dilemma that entangles and condemns the best of us. He goes on and writes this. 
Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Okay, now this is crucial. So Christ redeemed us like he saved us. He rescued us from the curse of the law. How? By becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. So in the crucifixion, in hanging on a tree, he became a curse for us. He redeemed us, that is, he rescued us, he saved us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles. That's to us, uh, not just to Jews, the, 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 the direct descendants of Abraham, but, but to non-Jews as well. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Christ in his death took on himself our curse. He suffered and died, and we are redeemed, and we are blessed as those who by faith receive the Spirit of God. This is the very thing that Paul discovered. We are accepted by God not on the basis of how good and successful and righteous we are, but on the basis of what Jesus did when he died on the cross. We are accepted by God not on the basis of how good and successful and righteous we are, but on the basis of what Jesus did when he died on the cross. And then our willingness to accept him and thereby receive his spirit. Which brings us back to his testimony. <laughs> I never boast except in the cross of Christ. That's where the curse is removed. This means that Jesus is an equal opportunity savior. Now let me explain what I mean by that. Okay, one person may live an amazing life with an amazing list of accomplishments and an amazing track record of amazing good deeds anyone would be proud of. And they, when they sit down with a friend over coffee, might be a little tempted to boast about all the opportunities and successes they've enjoyed. But Paul would tell them that even the most successful and good person can only boast in the cross of Christ. And another person may be aware of all their failures and the opposite of good deeds. And that person might be sitting alone at the coffee shop experiencing a moment of regret, uncomfortable with shame and wondering, I mean, could God love someone like me? And Paul would say, yes, you too can boast in the cross of Christ. So the good person and the not-so-good person come to God in exactly the same way. That is through the cross of Christ. All who have sinned, which is everyone, are equally in need of God's forgiveness and his life-transforming power, and that's what makes him an equal opportunity savior. Now, it's possible that right now, or perhaps at other times when you're reflecting on your life, you feel kind of wretched inside. And, and you recognize in yourself failure and terrible choices and sin, and you know you've messed things up. Have you ever felt that way? And, and you would really like to find God in the midst of this mess. 
Here's what the Apostle Paul discovered. Trust in the amazing love of God expressed through his son who died for you in the cross. Trust in the amazing love of God expressed through his son who died for you on the cross. And that means confessing your sin and your wretchedness to God and receiving his pardon. It means letting go of self-condemnation, blame, and shame by embracing the forgiveness of God provided through Christ's death on the cross. And then in faith, accepting this reality. I am accepted by God. My sin is covered by the blood of Christ. And I am set free and purified because of the cross. And then say with humility, may I never boast except in the cross of Christ. Now, there was a man at the crucifixion of Jesus. Now, we don't know much about him, but we do know that he had been convicted as a robber condemned to death by crucifixion. The man is not in denial of his guilt. That's evident to what he says while he's slowly dying. He acknowledges that he was paying for his crime, although the punishment of death by crucifixion far exceeds true justice. As he hung there in his own personal agony, he listens to Jesus. Jesus is on the cross next to him. He knew that Jesus was convicted of a political crime because the sign over his head read, here is the king of the Jews. But as he listened to Jesus, he discerned something different. That Jesus didn't deserve to die. His conviction represented gross injustice but also discerned that despite Jesus' agony, he possessed the power to save. And so this man is moved to say, in faith, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. This man has not lived for God. He has zero opportunity to accomplish a whole lot of good deeds to counterbalance the bad deeds before he dies. He cannot honestly say, all God wants from me is to do my best. He's run out of time. All he can do is appeal to the mercy of God. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. To which Jesus replies, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. And I'm certain he now agrees with Paul, may I never boast except in the cross of Christ. What about you? Maybe like that thief on the cross, you need to ask Jesus in faith to remember you. Like the Apostle Paul, trust in the amazing love of God expressed through his son who died for you on the cross. Confess your sin to him. Let go of self-condemnation. And trust in the forgiving grace of God. And then live in the reality of a life set free. Communion is an opportunity for every one of us to remember the cross to humbly affirm our faith in him, and to give wholehearted thanks to God. 
And maybe you're going through a rough patch with God, and you're not on the best of terms with him. This would be an ideal time to make a fresh commitment, or maybe even a brand new commitment to him, and receive his forgiveness and his strength to continue this journey. And for others, this communion will be for you a joyful reminder of the wonder of Christ's cross and a beautiful moment of praise. Let's come together before the Lord as we receive this communion. Thanks for listening to our Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please check out sardisfellowship.com. Have a great day and God bless.